can have a seat. Oh, good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Um, I'm just going to, last time I turned in a circle and it stopped. Nope, that's not what I'll get, yeah, I'll turn the other way. Thank you. Oh, that did it. Good. Perfect. Excellent. Thank you. All right. Thank you for your help with that. All right. Uh, a couple housekeeping things before we get started this morning. All right. Number one. Um, oh, what's going to happen again? Uh, number one, it's spring break, and uh, Ron and Donna and Josh all think that they're still students, so they took off for spring break. Um, so they're probably partying on a beach somewhere or something, is my guess. But uh, no, they took, they took some time off this week, and we're very grateful that we have an amazing team of elders that can kind of help us step in and, and, and help with a lot of different roles while some of us are gone. So we're thankful for Chris and uh, for the elders that will help us with communion later. Um, we just have a really great team that we get to work together and do ministry together. And so I just wanted to say thank you to them for um, stepping up while we get a little bit of time off every now and then. So thank you to them. Um, second thing. Some of you may have noticed these really nice flower arrangements that are up front. I just wanted to take a moment just to kind of talk about that too, just so you know uh, what those are about. Um, some of you may remember a young lady by the name of Delaney Martin. Um, Delaney was a student in our youth group. Uh, and I had the privilege of being Delaney's youth pastor when she was in middle school. Uh, and some of you also know that two years ago, um, Delaney passed away in a really tragic car accident. And um, today, today's her birthday, correct? Um, today's her birthday. Uh, and this is also the week, uh, this is also the anniversary of the week of her passing. And so um, her mom, Cindy, um, I was able to kind of build a relationship with her years ago and just being able to um, just kind of, Cindy wanted to be able to offer these flowers to us as a way to remember Delaney. And we also recognize that um, we're not just mourning Delaney, that many of you are mourning. Uh, many of you are in a place where you're missing somebody very badly, and we don't want to shy away from that or not recognize that. And so we are, we are praying for you as you go through your mourning process. We want to continue to lift up the Martin family uh, in prayer um, and support. And I know that they are very grateful for so many of you that have done so much for them over the last couple of years. So, uh, but, uh, but Cindy wanted to offer us these, these flower arrangements just as a way to remember Delaney. And she's here with us this morning. So go give her a hug later. I'm sure she would really appreciate that. Um, so just wanted to kind of clear up a couple of those housekeeping things for you. Uh, next, um, we are kind of in between things right now on Sunday mornings. Uh, last week, we finished up our all series where we kind of spent some time um, going over our all campaign, kind of talking about some of the amazing things that we've seen God doing over the last year, talking about some of the exciting things that we believe God is asking us to do in the next few years. Uh, if you weren't here for that, you can. there's still commitment cards that are in, your, um, in the rows in front of you. If you want to grab one of those, that will give you more information about what we're doing and how we can all be involved with what, we're at, what we believe God is asking us to do. And then believe it or not, we will start ramping up for Easter in a couple of weeks. Easter is next month already, which is kind of crazy to think about. Um, but in this in-between time, we have a couple of weeks where we can kind of focus in on a, a singular topic uh, a, a singular idea, and we like to do that from time to time to kind of break away from doing a series and kind of focus in on something that's, that we believe is really important and impactful in that time. Uh, and this morning, we actually have the opportunity to, to celebrate communion together, and so I thought it would be great if we took some time just to look at what was happening in the room that night that Jesus and the disciples sat down and had the very first Lord's Supper, the very first communion. And so that's kind of what I want us to do this morning before we go to the communion table together is just to try to understand what was happening in that room that night. 
And so to help us do that, this morning we're going to look at John chapter 13. So if you have a Bible, you can open up to John chapter 13. You can follow along on your phone or your tablet, or the verses will be on the screen. Um, lots of different ways to follow along with us. But in John chapter 13, I think we're going to get a little bit more of a picture of what was happening that night that Jesus sat down with his disciples. And to kind of help get us into that framework, uh, I want to ask you a question. I want you to think back uh, to an experience that maybe you've had in your life, all right? I want you to think about this. Have you ever been either a part of a conversation or observed a conversation between two very different people? Very different people. Whether they had very different personalities, whether they had very different points of view on a particular topic, um, whether they were just very different in terms of their role and responsibilities at work or at home or whatever the case might be. But let me give you some examples. Have you ever, have you ever watched a, a, a conversation between an extrovert and an introvert? You ever watch that happen? Typically what happens is the extrovert totally dominates the conversation. The introvert tries to go and crawl into the corner and cry and just get away from them because it's just too overwhelming for them. And so um, some of you kind of have watched those types of conversations happen. Or how about this? Have you ever watched a conversation between a really, really big Florida, University of Florida fan and a really, really big Florida State fan? Have you ever watched that conversation go down? That's very interesting. I'm, I'm neither, but I've watched that conversation happen. And it usually just digresses into a yelling match about whose team was better back in the day, like that kind of stuff. Um, that's usually what ends up happening. Or how about this? This might give you a little bit of a, uh, this might be a little bit more appropriate for our time and culture. Have you ever watched a conversation or a debate between a Republican and a Democrat? Um, yeah, pretty similar to Florida, Florida State conversation. It's, it's the best I can tell. It just kind of turns into a yelling match most times. But the idea is this, is that some of you are a little sick. Like, you enjoy those types of conversations. But for a lot of us, it's awkward. It's strange. It, we don't know what exactly we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to interact with a particular person. And one of the things that I love about reading Scripture, about reading, the li reading about the life of Jesus, is that Jesus always found a way to step into a conversation, to step into an experience, to step into a, an opportunity to be with somebody and make an impact with that person. No matter where they were, no matter what they believed, no matter what kind of uh, financial standing they had, Jesus always found a way to make a connection with people. And in many of those conversations, Jesus was actually able to take on multiple roles, to step into a role where he was able to speak to people on different ends of the spectrum, whether he was talking to somebody that was very wealthy or somebody that was very poor, whether he was talking to somebody that was very healthy or somebody that was very sick, whether somebody that was very important or somebody that maybe wasn't so important. Jesus always found a way. And in John chapter 13, I think we see another one of those experiences where Jesus is one of these very unique people who could step in and make an impact and make a difference with the group of people that he was with. And in John 13, we find Jesus in the upper room that scripture talks about with his disciples. And they've just arrived at the upper room. They're, they're, they're there in, in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover celebration. And Jesus is about to take that whole idea of the Passover celebration and completely flip it on its head, completely change the meaning of it for his disciples. And what they do in that room that night shows us a great picture of Jesus taking on multiple roles. I believe that Jesus takes on the role of both king and servant in that one episode, in that one experience. So let's look at it. John chapter 13, I actually want to read through the whole story just so we have a good idea of what's going on. 
And then we're going to go back and look at some particular things in here. But John 13, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. Here's what it says. It says, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper, and the devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I am doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested, you will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Simon Peter exclaimed, then wash my hands and my head as well, Lord, not just my feet. Peter replied, Jesus replied, a person who has bathed all over does not need to wash except for the feet to be entirely clean. And you disciples are clean, but not all of you. For Jesus knew who would betray him. That is what he meant when he said, not all of you are clean. Then verse 12, after washing their feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth, slaves are no greater than their master, nor is the messenger more important than the one who sends the message. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. Like I said, in this, in this one quick episode, I think we see Jesus taking on the role of both servant and king. In fact, in verse 13, Jesus declares who he is, doesn't he? He says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, because that's who I am. So Jesus knew that he was Lord. He knew that he was king. And yet, even though he was king, he lowered himself into the role of servant, to serve his disciples, to teach them, to make an impact on their lives. In one of his last moments with them, he was spending that time to teach them one more important lesson. A servant and king are two totally different roles, aren't they? Like those roles that we talked about before. A servant and king don't even belong in the same category. A king never becomes a servant, and a servant only serves the king. That's the, that's the way it should work, right? That's the way we believe it works. And yet Jesus kind of blows up that whole picture and gives us a new way to think about how we serve other people. And so I think as Jesus acts as both servant and king, he shows us some things, some things that we can learn from. And so I want to kind of look back into this story and find some things that I think we can learn from, from the servant and king. So let's look at them. The first thing, I believe that the servant and king shows us a sense of identity, a sense of identity. Look at verse 3 again. Verse 3 says this, Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. I think it's important that we recognize that Jesus didn't have some kind of temporary memory lapse in this story where he forgot who he was, and so he thought, oh, shoot, I better get down and start washing their feet. He didn't forget who he was. And John reminds us of that in verse 3. He says, Jesus knew that God had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and he would return to God. Jesus was confident in who he was. He knew who he was. And yet, even though he knew who he was, he took on 
the role of servant. He had come from God. He would return to God. He was confident in that. And nothing was going to shake his sense of identity because he knew exactly who he was. That's a great lesson for us because sometimes I think we lose our sense of identity or we allow our sense of identity to be built by things that are temporary, by things that break, by things that fail, by other people, by whatever it might be. All of those things begin to build our sense of identity, who we think we are. And when those things begin to crumble, when those things begin to fail, we begin to lose our sense of identity. Uh, think of it this way. Here's a great example just from this past week. On Wednesday, for about 12 hours on Wednesday, Facebook and Instagram went down. They went down. Their servers failed, and it, nothing worked on Facebook or Instagram. Some of us were walking around like zombies with our phone, just refreshing the app. Is this thing ever going to work again? Is it ever going to work? I have to know what that person had for dinner. I have, to know where, I have to know what they were doing today. I have to know every little thing about them. And for some of us, for those 12 hours, we were lost. We were lost. We had lost our sense of identity. Why? Because for some of us, our sense of identity is wrapped up in this virtual world that is fake, that isn't who we really are. And yet we try to portray ourselves, we try to portray the very best version of ourselves on Instagram and Facebook, don't we? Very rarely do we put our failures on Instagram. But we're very quick to put our success on Instagram. We, we try to build this sense of identity by creating this fake version of ourselves for the world to see. And what happens when life gets tough? What happens when we face challenges? That all falls apart because it's not who we really are. But we're so wrapped up in what people think about us and what they think we have going on in our lives. Do you think Jesus cared what people thought about him? Do you think Jesus really cared what people thought about him? If Jesus cared what people thought about him, he would not have taken his robe off, wrapped a towel around him, and washed his disciples' feet. If he cared, he wouldn't have done it. Jesus didn't care what other people thought. All that mattered to Jesus was following the lead of his father. He cared about people, but he didn't care about what they thought about him because his mission was to be the person that his father created, wanted him to be in that moment with his disciples. Nothing could shake him from that. His identity was rooted in God the Father. And that's exactly where our identity should be rooted as well. That's exactly where our identity should come from. It shouldn't come from what's going on around us. It shouldn't come from the, what we want to portray to the world around us. It shouldn't come from what's going on in our lives. Our identity should be rooted in, in God the Father and the person of Jesus Christ. Because that is where our true identity comes from. Jesus had nothing to gain and nothing to lose in this situation, did he? Did Jesus need the approval of his disciples? He didn't need the approval of his... He had nothing to gain and nothing to lose. And what he did in that moment was the, he, he was so focused on doing the one thing that would make the greatest impact in those people's lives, in those men's lives. Man, what if we lived our lives that way? What if we lived our lives that way? Because our sense of identity was so rooted in the fact that Jesus is who gives us our identity. That the things that scripture say about who we are as God's sons and daughters are what define who, is, is what builds our sense of identity. And it doesn't matter what people think. And we get the opportunity to just take advantage of making the biggest, best impact we can possibly make. What if that's what formed our sense of identity? The person of Jesus, his word, and what it says about us.
I know I have to work at this. This is a challenge for me to not get so caught up in what people think about me and, what people, and, and not worry about what people think or say about who I am, but allowing my sense of identity to be built by the person of Jesus, to rely on the scripture, to rely on the word of God, to tell me that I am God's son, that I, I can live my life in confidence and not be shaken by what's going on around me because of who I am. May we all have that strong sense of identity, whether we're putting our faith in Jesus for the very first time or whether we've been a follower of Jesus for years and years and years, we can still lose our sense of identity. May we go back. May we go back to that person of Jesus every single time. So the servant and king shows us a great sense of identity. The second thing is that the servant and king shows us an act of humility. Shows us an act of humility. Look at verses 4 and 5 again. It says, So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that he had around him. So here's what I see happening. Jesus' strong sense of identity prompted his act of humility. His strong sense of identity prompted his act of humility. Look at how these verses are written. We just read verse 3, right? Verse 3 tells us that, that all authority had been given to Jesus by God. Jesus knew that he had come from God. He knew he was going to return to God. And then verse 4 starts with what word? So, because Jesus knew who he was, because he had a strong sense of identity, so he was able to perform an act of humility. It didn't matter how low. It didn't matter how messy. It didn't matter how undeserving somebody may have been. Jesus' sense of identity prompted his act of humility. And I think that's a good lesson for us, too, is that when we have that strong sense of identity, it should prompt acts of humility in us. And this act that Jesus did, let's just call it what it is, it was gross. It was gross. Washing somebody's feet in that day was the, was the dirtiest, nastiest job saved for the lowest of the low of the servants. Because think about what was going on in that day. You were lucky to own a pair of sandals. Even if you owned a pair of sandals, you were walking on dirt roads that were covered in trash and animal waste and sewage and who knows what else. And whenever you would arrive at somebody's house to eat, if you didn't wash your feet, you stunk. And it was filthy and it would ruin the meal. And so in order to have the meal, you had to bring in a servant to wash the disciples' feet. The nastiest, grossest job in the room. And Jesus takes it on. Jesus' strong sense of identity prompted this act of humility. And he sat down, <clears throat> he, he stood up from the table, even though he was king, and took on the role of servant with his disciples. This was the job of a servant, not the job of a king. And yet Jesus was willing to do it. If we're being honest with ourselves, being humble is a challenge for us, isn't it? We don't necessarily like humility all the time. We don't want to be humble. Well, sometimes we're scared of being humble. It's a challenge for us. Why? Because I think sometimes we're afraid that if I lower myself to perform an act of humility, that people are going to think less of me. Or if I lower myself to perform an act of humility, that maybe somebody's going to take advantage of me. Or I'm going to lose some of my influence. Or I'm going to hurt my reputation. Or whatever else we might think. And there we go getting so wrapped up in what other people think again. 
Because again, I think our sense of identity is, is very much tied to our acts of humility. But if we could just get past ourselves a little bit, be able to be confident in who we are as followers of Jesus, then we can perform these acts of humility with confidence. It doesn't matter what people think. It doesn't matter what might or might not happen. We can just take advantage of the opportunity to serve and impact others. Now, we don't wash feet today. We don't do that anymore because we have these lovely things called shoes and socks and and sewage and sewer systems and all these kind of fun things where we don't need to wash it. So I'm not asking you to go to work tomorrow and start stripping off your coworkers' shoes and socks and try to wash their feet. It would be weird. It would be awkward. They wouldn't know what the heck you were doing. So I'm not asking you to actually physically go wash somebody's feet, but I'm asking you this question. What does washing somebody's feet look like in your world this week? <clears throat> what would it look like for you to take on an act of humility? To take on an act of humility to serve and impact somebody's life. You're going to be in meetings this week. You're going to be around people. You're going to be around friends and family. And you're going to have opportunities to, to, to perform an act of humility. It may not be physically washing somebody's feet, but what does washing somebody's feet look like in your world this week? Because I believe the acts of humility not only impact the people that we're working with, they impact us. They teach us. They help us evaluate and check our own hearts and our own minds and our own thoughts. So the servant and king shows us an act of humility. Next, I think that the servant and king gives us a really great picture of the gospel. Gives us a really great picture of the gospel. Look at verses 6 through 8 again. When Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, Peter protested. You will never, ever wash my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Let's be very clear. Peter is not a fan of what's going on in the room right now. He's not very happy with what's happening. Because I think that Peter doesn't want Jesus to be a servant. He just wants him to be a king. I think Peter is one of those guys that wants Jesus to rise up and, and overthrow the government and take over and, and have this really great, if he's the Messiah, then Jesus, let's do it. Let's take over. He wants him to be this authoritative figure that takes over everything around him. And yet Jesus is saying, no, Peter, stop. I'm not just a king. I am also here to serve. I am also here to serve you. And Peter fought that. Peter didn't like that. Jesus had to get firm with him. And tells him, and he tells him, you don't know what I'm doing right now, but someday you're going to understand. Someday you're going to understand. And he tells him, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Now, there's some debate about what Jesus was saying, what Jesus meant by that statement. But what I think Jesus is saying is, I think Jesus is giving Peter a picture of, about, of what is about to happen. Jesus is showing him, listen, tomorrow, life is going to totally change. Life is going to be totally different because tomorrow I am going to perform the ultimate act of humility, the ultimate act of service. I am going to give my life to pay the penalty, to pay the price for your sin so that you can be right with God. Peter, you have to let me wash you. You have to let me wash you. You don't understand now what's going to happen, but you will. You will. But you have to let me serve you. You have to let me wash you. And so Peter responds, well, then don't just stop with my feet. Wash my hands, wash my head, wash everything. Because I think Peter starts to get it. 
Jesus had to show Peter a picture of what was about to happen. And just like Peter had to stop fighting Jesus, sometimes we have to stop fighting him too. Because sometimes Jesus wants to come into our lives and wash us. He wants to clean us. Whether it's for the very first time, when when we're putting our faith and trust in Jesus right from the very beginning, or whether it's for the thousandth time, whenever we keep going back to Jesus with the mess of our lives and saying, Jesus, help. Wash me, clean me, make me whole. And just like Jesus had to stop fighting, or Peter had to stop fighting Jesus, we have to stop fighting Jesus sometimes too and allow him to come in and wash us and make us whole and make us clean. Are we allowing Jesus to be both servant and king in our lives? Because we can, we can also do the opposite. We can, we can not allow Jesus to be servant, but we can also not allow Jesus to be king because we don't want him to be the authoritative figure in our life, so we fight that too. So the question is twofold. Are we allowing Jesus to be both servant and king in our lives? Can Jesus speak and lead and be an authoritative figure in our lives, but can he also serve us and wash us and make us clean in the eyes of God? I think it's a really interesting picture for us to carry with us as we think about what it looks like to follow this servant and king. And then finally, I think that the servant and king also gives us an example to follow. An example to follow. Look at verses 14 and 15 again. Jesus says this, And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. So Jesus shows the disciples all of these things. He shows them this strong sense of identity. He shows them an act of humility. He shows them a picture of the gospel. And then after he's done showing them all these things, he says, now it's your turn. Go. Do these things. These guys have been following Jesus everywhere for the last three years. They've watched him teach. They've watched him perform miracles. They've watched the way that he's interacted with people and and how how he speaks to people. They've seen all of it for the last three years. And now Jesus is saying, go. It's your turn. Take what I have taught you as an example to follow. In verse 17, Jesus actually says, he says, and if you do these things, God will bless you. God will bless you as you begin to live out the things that you've watched me do. As we begin to follow the ways and the words of Jesus, to follow the example that he has set for us. If you think about it, Christianity is all about following, isn't it? It's all about following. It's all about following Jesus. It's all about following his words. It's all about following his ways. It's all about following the way he interacts with the world around him. It's about following him. Have, have you ever tried to follow somebody that doesn't know where they're going? How frustrating is that, right? How frustrating is it to follow somebody that has no clue where they're going? They think they know where they're going. And you want to try to give them the benefit of the doubt to get you there, but they have no clue. You get really frustrated, you get really irritated, you end up spending a lot of time and energy on things that just, it's a waste of your time, right? But Jesus is saying, listen, I know how to get there. I know where I'm going. I know how to get there. Follow me. Let me show you the way. Let me show you how to live the best life that you can possibly live. That doesn't mean we won't face challenges. That doesn't mean we might not veer off the path every now and then. But Jesus is continually inviting us to follow him. To follow his example that he laid out for us in the Gospels. So he has given us a strong, amazing 
example to follow. So as we study the life of Jesus in the Gospels, as we look at who he was, we can ask ourselves things like, how can I do that? How can I live the way that Jesus lived? How can I love the way that Jesus loved? How can I act the way that Jesus acts? How can I talk like Jesus talks? How can I treat others the way that Jesus treated others? Because he has set the example for us to follow. If you look at this story, the whole thing, I believe that there is one motivation behind why Jesus is doing what he's doing. In fact, it tells us in verse 1 of this story, I believe that love is the motivation behind why Jesus did what he did in John chapter 13. If you go all the way back to verse 1, it says that um, Jesus was showing them the full, uh, actually in the NIV version, it says that Jesus was showing them the full extent of his love. That this act of humility, this lesson that he was teaching them, was an opportunity to show them the full extent of his love. Love was the motivation that drove Jesus to do this for the disciples. Love should be our motivation as well. Love should be our motivation to make a difference in the lives of others, to share with them just how important the life of Jesus is and just how important it is for us to follow him. Love should be what motivates us and drives us to want to share the good news of Jesus with others. Actually, side note, this is like a sermon on the side of the sermon, ready? Kind of going back to Delaney's story, all right? Delaney came to this church in middle school. Do you know why she came? Because she was invited by a friend. She was invited by Allie Berkey, who loved Delaney, who was a really good friend of hers, who wanted to see her come to know Jesus. And so Allie took a, a courageous step for a middle school girl to invite her friend to church, to bring somebody with her to hear that message. And that message changed Delaney's life. I believe that. Our story with Delaney here at Alliance wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for Allie Berkey being willing and courageous to invite somebody to be a part of God's story. That's our call too. That's our call too. If we are going to follow Jesus, if we are going to follow Jesus, if we are going to follow the example that he gave us, Jesus took every opportunity he could to, to share love, to share good news with the world around him. We have that same example to follow, that as we have opportunity to take advantage of those opportunities to share that love and hope and joy and good news with the world around us. May we follow the example of Jesus because it's the perfect example for us to follow. And may love motivate everything that we do. So may, may we be confident in our identity as sons and daughters of God. May we be confident in where we stand with God and may our confidence in who we are prompt acts of humility, things that for no other reason make a difference and an impact in somebody else's life this week, to share the love of God with them through our words and through our actions. May we carry that picture of the gospel with us, of Jesus wanting to wash our feet, to make us clean, to put us in right standing before God because of what he did for us on the cross. And may we follow the example that he has given us, the example to love others well, to love God well, and to do our very best to follow him in all of our ways, in all of our words, 
in all of our actions. That's my prayer for us this week, that we would do that well. That we would be the followers of Jesus that he wants us to be. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for a story like John chapter 13. Jesus, I thank you for being willing to humble yourself. To, to put yourself in the role of servant. And not just a regular servant, the lowest of the low servant. God, Jesus, you did the most humble thing you could do in that moment. God, thank you for that example. Thank you for what it teaches us. Thank you for how it can change us. God, may we follow your example this week. May we be the people who can be confident in who we are, and may that prompt acts of humility to impact others. God, thank you for this table that we're about to come to. Thank you for what it means. Thank you for how it changes our lives. God, thank you just seems like it's just not enough sometimes. But God, we are grateful for what you've done for us. And it's your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, John chapter 13, the story that we talked about this morning was one of the last things that happened before Jesus and the disciples take the very first Lord's Supper. If you read the book of Luke, in the book of Luke, one of the very last things that happens in that room too is that the disciples break out into an argument. They begin arguing with each other about who is the greatest disciple. Literally, on, in, on their last night with Jesus, they still aren't getting it. And yet Jesus still invites them to the table, still invites them to come and join him at the table. I hope that's encouraging for you because that's encouraging for me to know that even in spite of my shortcomings, even in spite of, the, of my doubts and my fears and my questions and my questions and my sins, in spite of all of those things, Jesus still invites me to the table. He still invites you to the table. He still invites us to gather around the table because of his love for us. And so we arrive at the table ready to remember what Jesus has done for us in his death on the cross and his resurrection. We don't have a lot of rules about who can and can't take communion here at Alliance. My only question is this. Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Do you believe that Jesus is who he said he was? The son of man. The son of God come to this earth to die on the cross, to pay the price for you and me so that we can be in right standing with God. If you believe that, if you trust him, you are more than welcome to join us at the table this morning. We're going to pass these trays. And we just ask that you would just help each other as you do that. We ask you to take a piece, of the, a piece of bread and a cup and just hold on to it until everybody's had the chance to, to um, receive it, and then we'll eat and drink together. But may we take these next few moments remembering our servant and our king.